heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We again seek your face. We want your presence here with us. We want you to reveal to us your will, your word through the Bible this morning as we open it and learn from it. Especially just bless Brother Lauren and the message he has prepared. May he be able to freely share what you've laid upon his heart and directed him to. Asking that you will continue to direct him and lead him to speak to us through our spiritual needs. That we could be refreshed and encouraged and strengthened to serve you faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings to each one of you in Christ's name this morning and welcome to our time of worship here today. The other night, Lester, after reorganization, asked um, for a few volunteers to share what they've been blessed by as they have served in the church over the years. And it was good to hear people share their experiences. And I guess I was as, as I was have sat through the service this morning, I was reminded of one of the blessings of, of serving in a church. And that is how, like, the... The message I was plan- I am planning to preach this morning, the seed was planted a long time ago, um, maybe six weeks ago or something. I had read um, a few things out of a book, and then um, after my last message, um, I was intrigued with some thoughts, and then that continued to um, where we are today with the message I planned to preach. And when Jaden got up this morning and shared what he was, you know, his devotion and then what the Sunday school lesson about was about, like that all just meshed together in my mind. And it's just, that's what blesses me is when you realize the spirit is at work in the church and it's not um, me, it's not us as people, but it's God at work in each one of our lives. And that in my mind is a big blessing of serving in a church and being part of a church. So this morning, um, We're going to be going back to the book of Exodus today, and to begin with, I just want to briefly remember the story of the Israelites and their journey and how that started. You know, prior to what the text I'll be reading today, which will be Exodus 32, God had worked in a mighty way to bring his children out of the bondage of the Egyptians, and they started their journey to the promised land. He had called Moses from his life as a shepherd in the wilderness back to Egypt to be the man that would orchestrate the deliverance of his people. God brought Pharaoh to the point where he was willing to allow the Israelites to go. At first he refused, but after ten plagues um, came upon the land of Egypt, he he finally relented. The Passover was commemorated for the first time at the culmination of those plagues. The last plague was the death of the firstborn. And as that spread across the land, Pharaoh demanded that the people of Israel leave the land of Egypt. Jacob had come to Egypt probably some 400 years before with 70 people in his group. And now, after God blessing him in Egypt, The group that was leaving contained 600,000 men plus women and children. God had greatly blessed them despite their affliction and their bondage. Now they started their journey back across 
the wilderness to the land God had promised to their father Abraham many years ago. But then Pharaoh, he changed his mind, and he decided to chase them across the, the desert, and they found themselves trapped between the pursuing army of the Egyptians and the Red Sea. But God had a way of escape for them, and that's, as we think about our um, Sunday school lesson this morning, it was brought out that God provides a way of escape for us as we face difficult temptations in life. So here he delivers the children of Israel through the Red Sea, not around it, but through the Red Sea. He made a dry path, and during the night, the multitude of people walked on this path. The army quickly followed them across this dry land, but once they were in the middle of the crossing, God allowed the water back across the path that had been made for the children of Israel, and now the water trapped and drowned the Egyptian army. <clears throat> you know, as we think about that, I just want to draw a few lessons from that crossing. You know, as we think about the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, you know, I want each of you that are serving the Lord to remember that as you leave your old life behind and you turn and trust in God, he will deliver you just as he did the Israelites. You know, when you follow the leading of the Lord and you come to a place that you feel that there's no way to escape, remember that God is with you and he will provide a way. He will stand between you and the evil forces that are looking to take you down if you will allow him to. You know, for the Israelites, they had to follow the path through the water. Moses needed to move forward in faith to follow the instructions that God had given him. <clears throat> They had to go forward in faith, trusting in the provision that God had provided. And as they did this, God provided a path forward. No obstacle is too big for God in your, your life today. There is nothing that surprises him or that confounds him. And you can trust in that. You know, the way that he will direct us in won't always be an easy path or the path that we will choose, but it's the one that is best for us. You know, this situation, there was much anxiety as they came up against the Red Sea. There was fear. There was, you know, crying out to Moses, what are we going to do? You know, that's, that's the place we come to sometimes in life. We're like, God, what are we going to do? We ask other people, what are we going to do? Um, but if we look to God, he will provide a way for us. And the situation that looked overwhelming and crippling to them became their great deliverance, but it also turned into the defeat of their enemy. You know, if not for the defeat of the Egyptian army, the, the Egyptian army could have harassed them in their new country for years to come. You know, they were only 500 miles away from Egypt. The Egyptian army could have easily came after them later on, but God conquered the army so that they would have rest from that. So as we surrender to God's plan, he can provide rest for the things that would defeat us in our life. After the Red Sea, the people rejoiced in the deliverance of God. They believed in God as they saw his mighty hand at work. They sang a song of praise. They rejoiced in the deliverance of God, and they continued on their journey, and God provided food for them by giving them manna. And then, as I shared in my last message, they came to the Mount of God. They met with God, and God gave them ten commandments. They saw the holiness of God. They saw how great this God was. And they rejoiced in that as well. And the time that elapsed between um, Exodus 19 and 20, which was my last message, and Exodus 32, um, which will be the text for today, God gave 
the plans for the nation of Israel to Moses. He explained how to build a tabernacle, how the offerings were supposed to work, the relationships, how they were supposed to relate with each other, um, um, and Moses, I mean, sorry, Aaron and his sons, how they were to be ordained as priests, and many more things. And Moses talked for quite a while with God as he um, laid out this plan for them. So that brings us to Exodus 32, which is my text for today. And so at this time, we're going to read the text, and Marvin has consented to read the text. So Marvin, can you come up and read that at this time? Exodus 32. Follow along as we read. Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathering, gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. And as for this, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thou wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do against his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. 
And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. And as for this, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame amongst their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about three thousand men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, every man upon his son, and every brother, I'm sorry, and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people, because they made the calf which Aaron made. Thank you, Marvin, for reading that. <clears throat> so the story contained in this chapter is quite a tragic event. Um, after reading the account the last time, you know, the, there was a, that was a great and glorious event as God came down to visit his people and reveal himself to them. And here, shortly thereafter, we have quite a tragedy. You know, we had this people who first had firsthand witness to the mighty hand of God at work turn and worship this metal calf and call it their God that had delivered them. God had brought the great nation of Egypt to its knees. He had delivered the Israelites from the Egyptian army. He had destroyed the army in the Red Sea. God had provided sustenance for his people as they traveled through the, 
the wilderness. You know, providing for such a great multitude was no small task. God had delivered them from their pain and their bondage in Egypt and filled their needs. And yet, in their impatience, they turned away from worshiping the true God to worshiping this statue. Now, secondly, what is a great tragedy is the death and disruption that idolatry brings to our lives. You know, in verse 28 of this chapter, we see that as a result of this idolatry, 3,000 people died as a result of the sin they had committed. Now, this wasn't people outside the camp. This wasn't their enemies. This wasn't the neighboring countries. This was their friends and family. And I can't imagine the tragedy and the sadness in the camp that day to see this taking a place among your own circle of friends and acquaintances. And I think this gives us a picture of how seriously God takes this. And we also have to remember that when we allow idolatry and sin into our lives, it not only hurts me, but it also hurts those around me. But I want to give a contrasting picture to that. As the, to di a different group of people, as they waited, as they had patience, as they waited for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God was able to work in a miraculous way, and 3,000 people were saved that day. 3,000 people did not perish, but were saved. And that shows a contrast of what can happen as we allow God to work in our lives instead of taking matters into our own hands. So a question I want us to think about this morning as we look at this chapter, we can look back at this chapter that happened thousands of years ago and ask, why does this matter to me today? What significance do the experiences of the Israelites have for me in my life today? For an answer, I want to look to the Apostle Paul. He has the answer for us in 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 10 in the NIV, and I'm going to be starting at verse 1. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brethren and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they were all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not connect commit sexual immorality as some of them did and one day 23,000 23, of them died we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to, for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come so if you, th you think you are standing firm be careful that you do not fall no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. So I think we can look at the lives of the Israelites and the Israelite nation and how God worked in their lives as a type of our Christian life. 
As Paul points out here in the letter to the Corinthians, that we need to pay, pay attention to the lives of these people and the results that, of their choices. And in verse 1, he calls us to not be ignorant about these things. We're not to just pass it off because it happened in a different time and a different place. Sometimes I hear the expression at my house, Dad, it's different now. That was way back then. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I hear that from my children sometimes. But we as adults say the same things to God at times. You know, God, it's different now. It's not the same anymore. But I think we can look at choices that the Israelites made and we can learn from them. Paul warns us not to be too self-confident in verse too self-confident in verse 12. Because when we feel confident that it's different now and somehow that we have it figured out, you know, we think we won't fall. We think we have it figured out better than our fellow brothers and sisters in the church. That's when we need to be careful. That's when we need to be aware of the attitude that is coming into our heart because, as Paul warns us, so if you, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's in those moments that we are vulnerable to failure. And we see Paul reminding us multiple times to learn from the experience of the Israelites. We see that in verses 6 and 11. And also in verses 7 and 14, he reminds us twice that we are to watch out for idolatry in our lives. You know, Paul also reminds us that they had opportunity, as, they do, as we do, in their spiritual food. Christ was traveling with them, just as he is with us today. He urges us to flee from idolatry, run for your lives. And, you know, we read the story about, the children's story about the three little pigs and how they ran for their lives from the wolf. That's how we are to flee from idolatry, run for your life. <clears throat> so what are a few lessons we can learn? And, and briefly here, I want to look at um, a few lessons that we can take from this account in Exodus. And the first one I want to leave with you is wait on God. Failure to wait on God will lead us down the wrong, patient, wrong path. And impatience is not from God. We see here the Israelites getting discontent because Moses wasn't coming back. Things weren't happening fast enough for them. And a story I made a, in, that made an impact on my life a number of years ago was when I read the book, Let Me Die in Ireland. This book left a deep impression on my life. It's the story of the man we know today as St. Patrick. He was, as a young man, um, around 8,400, give or take. He was 16 years old, and he was captured by Irish raiders that came over to the coast of England. As he was taken to Ireland and taken as a slave, he had to work out in, I think he was a herder with, with some form of animals, sheep or cows. And during that time, his faith became very real to him, but he was determined to escape and go back home. This was a very rare occurrence to escape Ireland and go back home to England. This was a common thing that happened, and people very rarely made it back home to England. But he was determined that he was going to do it. And fortunately for him, after six years, he didn't manage to, to walk about 200 miles to the coast and made his way back to England. However, after he got home, God started to work in his life, and he felt called to go back to Ireland. 
When he was in Ireland, he did not want to be there at all. But now that he was home again, God was calling him to return to Ireland as a missionary. When he finally came to accept this call, it went a long time from the time of his call until he was able to go. And it impressed upon my heart the willingness to wait on the timing of God, answering the call of God, waiting on his timing, and doing it in the will of God, waiting on the will of God to be fulfilled. And we see the Israelites didn't have the patience to wait on God. They wanted to move ahead and give up on Moses because he didn't show up in their time. So the first one I want to leave with you is, like I said, is the waiting on God, being patient. And that really struck home for me is being willing to be patient. That's something that I struggle with at times is being patient. So that one definitely stepped on my toes. And then the next one is obedience to God's word is a must for victorious living. In bowing down to the golden calf, the Israelites immediately violated the first two commandments that God had just given to Moses. In Exodus 20, verses, starting in verse 1, I read a few verses here. God told Moses, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth and beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If we are to experience the joy and freedom of living in Christ, we must first of all put into practice what we read in his word. We need to put into practice what we already know. We need to be obedient to God. The, the Israelites had cried out in their pain, in their bondage to God for deliverance in Egypt, but now they quickly reverted back to the ways of Egypt. They had brought the influence of Egypt with them, and they again experienced the bondage and the defeat that Egypt brought. Thirdly, we need to have proper focus. The Israelites here, they were focused on their leader, Moses. And while Moses was a great example and Moses was a very godly man, they were focused on him and not on God. Now, after Moses leaves, they were soon looking around for somebody else to follow. They seemingly had not recognized that it was God that they were called to follow. You know, this is a pitfall that is easy for us to fall into. You know, we simply want to follow um, some teacher, a theology, a pastor, and we forget that Christian life is not simply living and doing the right things. It is well beyond that. It is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, allowing God to work in us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, allowing God to change us into his character and so that we can reflect the character of God to those we relate to on a daily basis. And fourthly, another lesson I want to draw from this is love as Moses did. Moses was an amazing example for us to follow. You know, as he came down the mountain, initially he was very angry at the people and what they had done. He enforced some consequences upon them. 
But if you look at the verses 30 to 32, his love for the people is remarkable. <coughs> Moses had left his home as a sheep herder. He had left his family for quite some time to go back to Egypt to lead this people out of Egypt. And it must have been extremely difficult for him to now see these people turning against his God and turning against his leadership. But I think his response to this situation is a model for us to follow, and it was very challenging to me. He goes back to God, and he pleads for forgiveness for these people's sin. And then he tells God, you know, if you can't forgive these people's sin, then blot me out of your book instead of them. And I think this defines a great leader, a man who was willing to give his life for his people. So that's the, the fourth lesson I want to leave with you today is to, to love as Moses did. And just briefly here, I just want to consider, you know, when we think about this account, we think about, you know, the Israelites and the idols they worship. And, you know, we can look at that and think, you know, that was a very foolish thing to do. But we humans, we like to see physical, tangible things. Paul, when he was speaking at Mars Hill in Acts 17, says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God has, is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's devices. Paul was in a scenario here where they had many gods and had many statues they worshipped, but he was saying that God is not like that. And in our humanity, we like to see something that we can touch or feel. Romans 1 also talks about that. It says, And changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to the corruptible man, to the birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. You know, we want to see God. We want to understand him. But that desire can actually distract us from the true majesty and greatness of God. You know, God cannot be be portrayed by anything that we can create. And I don't, you know, we probably don't have statues that we worship like the Israelites did. I don't know that we do. But I think, you know, sometimes we can have other idols in our lives that are much more subtle than that. You know, we cannot have idols out of good things. You know, sometimes maybe... um, There are things that actually are valuable things, but we put them in the place of God. And a quote that I read in my studies that I thought described it well, it says, look for the areas of excess in your life and you will find your idols. I think that is very true. That is how we can spot our idols. You know, the idols in our lives today are much more subtle and harder to spot than an obvious golden calf. And... You know, as I read over this story, I've read over this story many times over the years, and, and, and you think that they just created this golden calf. But the thing that intrigued me about this golden calf was that Apis was an Egyptian deity that was in the form of a bull. And this deity was to symbolize kingship, strength, and fertility. So it appears that the, the Israelites were bringing along their old life and mixing it with their new. So sometimes that's how our idols can take shape in our life, is that we try to combine our old life before our, our 
Christianity and combine it with the new, and it creates idols in our life. So just a few few thoughts yet quickly on how can we avoid idolatry in our lives. And for that, I'm going to read a few verses from Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. Here again we have Paul, Paul speaking. <clears throat> Colossians 3, 1 to 10. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in our in who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them. But now ye put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. <clears throat> so four points I want to leave with you on how to avoid idolatry in our lives. And the first one is, in verse one, is seek the heavenly. The Israelites got distracted by the earthly circumstances and forgot to focus on the eternal goal. Let's not repeat that mistake. Just as Jaden shared with us this morning about having the proper focus, so we need to keep our focus on the heavenly. Secondly, in verse 3, our life is hid within Christ. When we accept Christ and become a believer, we die to the old man and the old ways of living and forget the ways of self. Christ is to be what people see. When our aim is to display, display Christ serving self, we're not, we'll need to take the back seat. And then verse 4, Christ is the source of our life. When we on, rely on Christ for our life, we can live an abundant life. He will fill us with his life and make us whole again. And then fourthly, in verse 5, we are to mortify, which is to crucify, which is to put to death our earthly appetites. And that is a few quick um, ways that we can avoid having idols in our life. So in closing, and just a few thoughts to wrap up, you know, as we leave here today, it's my hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit would work in each one of our lives and help us to examine our hearts and find those areas of excess where we have allowed idolatry into our hearts. We have made idols and how to, to remove them and that answer, you know, to the question, that question, where if we have allowed uh, idols into our hearts, has significant eternal consequences. And it will determine the choices we make and our eternal destiny. And also, just again, to think about Moses as a leader and the love for his people. Contrast that to Aaron and his response. Aaron blamed the people for sin, and he didn't take his responsibility for his part in it. Those of you who have leadership roles, you know, you have leadership roles in many different ways. You have mothers, fathers, teachers, pastors, younger, I mean, older siblings, even, you know, you that are in the youth group. You have younger ones looking up to you. Be a Moses. 
care for those who are coming behind you, love them even when they do wrong. You know, that the example, Aaron, is that when we allow idolatry to take over, we will start blaming other people for our mistakes. And don't become distracted quickly by circumstances and keep our focus on Christ. Let's live for him. Um, let's surrender our heart completely to him and worship him as the one true God. With these thoughts, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear eternal Father in heaven, we bow before you at the close of this service. We thank you that you are almighty God. You care for us. You provide for us. And we pray today that you would help us to keep our proper focus in our lives. Help us to remember that the eternal is what is important, and while we need to live in this earthly life, that you are here to guide us and keep us and to help us experience true life, help us to experience true joy, and we just want to surrender to your will today. We just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.